0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Lord is he, Lord Christ. Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because he, they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, They saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. The gospel of the Lord. it's okay i'm going to say my introductory part in the name of the father son and the holy spirit amen you all did right sitting is where you should be at this moment i once was in a in a sermon long ago and far away where the preacher didn't say or do anything he just launched into a sermon and as good Episcopalians, we were standing for another two or three minutes before he finally said, oh yeah, I forgot, this is the Episcopal Church. It's okay to sit down. Um, this morning we get a second account of the feeding of the 5,000. So last week when we were reading from the Gospel of Mark, uh, it wasn't in the story that we actually read. I read it to you, and this week we actually have an account of the, of the feeding of the 5,000. And it's important to remind you of all, Except for the passion narrative, this is the only story that appears in all four Gospels. So it sort of begs us to see what each of the authors is trying to say about what's happening in this moment. Now, if you take what we call the synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they focus on the compassion that Jesus has for the crowd, and that's really important. Compassion is one of those things that Jesus demonstrates in that ministry. And I would say that if you were looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they were three authors coming from a perspective of trying to figure out front, I mean, back end who Jesus was. That's the big question that they have all the time. And it comes out in different ways. Mark's favorite way of saying, you know, who is Jesus is, He who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an eye, let him see. You see the acts of Jesus, and you know who he is. That isn't, in fact, all that Mark is about. He talks about signs, not miracles. And signs are certainly in the Gospel of Mark someplace where we should know that God has turned up. The whole gospel is this sense of coming from the inside out because it starts with this knowledge that Jesus has come down from heaven to live among us. He is the word of God who is showing God to us and saying God to us. And so all of the stories in, Mar, I mean, in the gospel of John, excuse me, they presume this perspective that, that Jesus' is, this story is being told from the inside out, not from the outside in. And I think that's part of what we have here in these two stories, the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water, that are a little different than Mark, because in this story, the real offering is not the bread, it's Jesus. And that's the whole purpose of the gospel of John is to tell you that God has come among us and offered himself to us. Now, that doesn't make Mark wrong or Matthew wrong or Luke. They have their own perspectives that give information about Jesus that we would be poorer without. But John is this expansive inside-out gospel which already presumes who Jesus is, and just expands that out into the people more and more and more. By the way, over the next four weeks, you're going to continue reading in the sixth chapter of this this, uh, gospel, because uh, now John, in a very Johannine way, is going to explain what just happened. (laughs) And John never does it in a paragraph. He always takes like three or four pages because it's so amazing to him, he wants you to be amazed, too. I think about this because, um, and I, ha- I have more to say in just a moment, I think about this because um, I read the paper too much, <laughs> you know? and and I also uh, get... Uh, you know, email letters, you know, you know when you used to get the Kiplinger letter, some of you may have remembered the Kiplinger letter, you know, it would come, how's it, once a week, you know, and it was in like typeface that was like the typewriter and the whole bit, and it was just, you know, meandering thoughts of, of Kiplinger about the economy and politics and all this other stuff. Uh, I was always fascinated by it. And it was short, that was what was great about it. And now you get one of those a day right? You don't get it once a week, you get it every day, and it's glossier, and it's got pictures, it's, it's really uh, uh, ramped it up, and I get too many of them, and they distract me. And it's really bad to be distracted right now, because in addition to having uh, my uh, faith life to have to live, the Olympics are on, and, and, and they're sort of bursting in all over the place now, too. Um, so, it's, it's going to be a hard two or three weeks, and I'm going on vacation, so I'm just letting you know. I'm going to leave it up to Jim Hughes, who will be here next week, wonderful guy, and I'll let him explain this for you, but I'm going to get out ahead of him and just talk about the fact that, as I've been reading this week, um, there's a lot bubbling up in our culture around us, isn't there? I mean, not, not all of it is political. Some of it's just cultural stuff you know, and the big word on everybody's mouth seems to be critical race theory, and I'm not going to preach about critical race theory, but I thought it was fascinating because last week I gave you some, you know, not exciting news about the the state of the Episcopal Church, and this week I'm going to give you some not exciting news because uh, part of this is bubbled up to our friends out on Leesburg Pike, McLean Bible Church, and it's now hitting national papers, right? So, uh, whatever turmoil we might be experiencing here in the Episcopal Church, it's not really much hitting the national news. Poor McLean Bible Church is having a dispute. And, oh man, is it a dispute. So, I promise, long before you have to petition a judge about me, we can have a conversation. I, I, I promise you that. I promised that to Leslie when the Vestry called me here. Um, but I just thought it fascinating, because here was a church who, when I got here five years ago, or almost six now, wow, time flies, almost six years ago, I thought, wow, they got their, they have their act together, right, and everybody did, the numbers look good and everything else, and and then Lon, and before Lon Solomon, who was their founding senior pastor, retired, things were beginning to unravel a bit, you know, after 20, 25 years of doing a Everything in one direction, everything's, you know, uh, uh, things begin to unravel. And here's one of the things I just wish to tell you. I would like to think of myself still as the young priest, but I'm not. I'm, I'm not a curate anymore. I've been around for a couple of years. And one of the things that I'm seeing is a generation of priests to begin handing it over to a new generation of priests who are in their 40s, early 40s, which is when I started priesthood, or in their 30s, and some of them, believe it or not folks, are even in their 20s, even in the Episcopal Church. And I saw a picture of the senior pastor of McLean Bible Church, who's, you know, under some duress right now, and I have to say, boy, he looked young. (laughs) And I don't know, he might be 40, but he looked young. And... I'm sure he's earnest in what is going on there is a the struggle in and around the issue of is there a thing called white privilege? Is there a thing called critical race theory? Is there a thing, how would Christians respond to all of this? Now, I know what he did, and I'm not going to tell us anything, but I think when we struggle in the church, there, there are always a few things going on. One is often there's a, there is a generational change issue going on. As, as we, the elders, get elder, uh, and we think we had captured the moment properly, we tend to carry that stuff with us on and on and on. And although, although history doesn't repeat itself, and I think it was Mark Twain who said, but it rhymes, a lot of the things look like they're gonna happen over again, right? So they won't happen in the same way because it's a different place in time, but some of the things that we're we're sort of culturally dealing with right now are not all that different. They rhyme with stuff that I knew of in my teens and twenties and began to mature into my adulthood with. And the answers that will come out and the structure of our culture, here's what I'm just going to tell all of you, it will be different than what we grew up with or became adults with. And that's how the world works, and we can see that even in the Bible, because this morning I was going to be brilliant and read something from Isaiah from you to you, uh, just to give you an idea. I, th- I will just let you know, I think Isaiah, that the Gospel of John is just an extended reflection on the prophet Isaiah. If you begin to read what Isaiah is about, and you begin to read the Gospel of John, you're going... Man, Isaiah is in the background of all of this. And one of the things in Isaiah talks about, we read it, by the way, at funerals, is this idea that God comes to God's holy mountain and draws all people to himself there, and we have a big festival meal there with rich food uh, and wine and um, and that God wipes away all our tears. Oh, and here's Jesus in the midst of all of these People, 5,000, it's a big crowd back then. It's a big crowd now, too, I think. Anyway, 5,000 people, and what are they doing? They're having a feast. Now, in this case, it's not, uh, you know, um, uh, beef, but it is fish and bread, and it is abundant. So abundant that they have 12 baskets left over when everything happens. Jesus lived in one of those times where the culture was struggling. You had Rome, you had the leadership of, of Israel, you had the people hungering for change and, and uh, affirmation, and you know these people are out in the middle of the wilderness, they're looking for Jesus to heal them. I mean, folks, history rhymes. This is 2,000 years ago, and we still have people wandering around looking for healing, metaphorical and literal. We have people looking for food that will satisfy literal and metaphorical. All of those things are true, and here's Jesus in the middle of it, and here's the answer that Jesus gives. So I'm going to back up for just a minute and do a parenthetical in what I see going on culturally in McLean Bible Church and even in the Episcopal Church is the system's are failing, we need to change the system. That's, that's essentially what we're saying. By the way, that happened in the late 60s and early 70s too, but, you know, we'll talk about how we dealt with those answers later, or some other time. In this case, that's one of what things would be saying, and here's what I'm gonna tell you. All the systems whether they were inspired by God, administered by human beings, are going to fail. Why? Well, because of humans. We're involved. And we can't get it right. That's the other thing the Bible tells us is no matter how hard we try, and by the way, sometimes when we think we get it most right is when we do some of the most damage we've ever had. We think we can fix this world. There are all sorts of systems out there that are being developed to fix this world. The people who run the tech companies, the people who ran uh, the Soviet Union, the people who currently run China, they think we're gonna fix the world and I'm a Christian and I look at them and go, oh guys, that's so wrong-headed. We can do our best to make lemonade out of the lemons we've been given, but we can't fix the world. That's God's job, but what we can do is have a relationship both with God and each other and begin to walk with each other in that rebellious brokenness that we all bear. This is why I'm so glad this story about the feeding of the 5,000 also includes Jesus walking on water. Here are the disciples. They've just seen the feeding of the 5,000. They're now in a boat. Jesus isn't with them, and they're lost on the sea, and there's a storm, and there's tempest. And what's the answer to the question? Jesus. And what does Jesus tell them? He comes out toward them walking on the water or he's walking beside the water. It really doesn't matter. God is present because what is Jesus' answer to the disciples when they're panicking? Well, in our version, it says, it is I. And in, in the Greek version, it says, I am, which is God's name. Here I am. I'm offering myself to you. There's a big part of the story of the church that says God created a world that was good and somehow something in the human heart has messed it up. Now, folks, I'm not here to preach fire and brimstone or that you're all going to hell. I'm just saying the reality of the world that I see is we keep messing it up. Even when we think we're fixing it, we keep messing it up. That is part of our humanity, and here's what I would offer to you as good Episcopalians and good Christians. The way we work the world out is by walking with the God who has offered himself to us in his personal presence. That God who came in Jesus and said, I am. God systems are both personal and systematic. It's sort of like Jesus is fully human and fully God. Well, God can give 200% because God has that capacity. God can provide abundance because God has that capacity. And the world in which we live is going to be a world which needs a lot of grace, a lot of mercy, a lot of forgiveness, And a lot of walking with each other. We're not going to ever perfect the church or perfect the world or any of those things. And that's not a bad thing. This is the world and, you know, the the struggle that God has given us. And I don't understand and I don't have answers to all those questions. And I actually have been very fortunate and very blessed because I have all sorts of things in my life that show me that God is present. And the same things that I see as showing that God is present tell other people that there is no God. How does that happen? I don't know. I scratch my head. I worry about those people. Not about whether they're going to hell or not, but because, gosh, going through life that pessimistic just doesn't seem to me any way to live. And there's always going to be something to get worried about. There seems to be in our cultural norms now an epidemic of anxiety, unfocused fear. The people of the Palestinian countryside were looking for an answer. They were looking for help. And though Jesus healed many, And though Jesus fed many, he did not fix them. What he did is he offered himself to them so they might walk together, so they might have a personal and real relationship, so that the systems that we fill are filled with people who are being touched by God, so that we might know the goodness of this creation. The revelation of a loving God and the companionship of the community in which we live.